Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Positively Dog-Powered. I'm really excited to share this episode with you all today. So if you guys are thinking about attending your first race and maybe haven't yet, whether it's a local 5K race or you're traveling across the country for your first drylands sports race, this episode is for you. I remember not too long ago, I was preparing for my first race. And while I certainly had some experience with local casual races and traveling for vacation with the dogs, this definitely brought about a whole new world for me. And so I was a little worried, wasn't quite sure what to pack and how to prepare myself and the dogs. So we're going to dive into that today. I'm joined with two guests, Christy and Hannah, and they both enjoy dog powered sports and race competitively with their dogs. So we're going to dive into raising puppies and how to prepare them to be your next competition dog, as well as what to pack for that day. But before we dive into that episode, we do have another five-star review from CGA Luska. Great information. I run Huskies using a Diggler scooter recreationally. I don't race, but the conversation about training and paying attention to your dog is definitely applicable to what I do with my dogs. I've listened to episodes one through four and 21. Going back to listen to all the episodes. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for taking the time to share that review. I really appreciate you going out of your way to write that. And your name, as well as everybody else who's left us a review over the last couple months, is entered into our draw. And today is the lucky day we are going to draw for our winner. Um, All right. You guys cannot see, but I am rummaging through a bowl of paper here. And we've got all of our names entered. So let's draw a winner. And the lucky winner is Horses for Life 2012. Well, thank you, Horses for Life 2012, for your review. You are the winner of our merch. So if you want to shoot me a message over on Instagram, Facebook, or at my email, which I will include in the show notes, we will coordinate getting that gear sent over to you. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate all the reviews You taking the time out of your day helps support us and the podcast by connecting us to other like-minded folks that are enjoying the same sport that we are. All right, now is time to dive into our episode. Enjoy. Okay, so we're going to get started today. We've got a panel of two other women mushers who enjoy dog-powered sports in a variety of different ways with their huskies, and we're going to talk about preparing for races and events, whether that's a local 5K that you guys are headed to for the first time or you're traveling across country to your first sanctioned race. All of it takes planning, different amounts of planning for sure. But we're going to talk today about how you guys can prepare those puppies that you might be raising all the way up to your current adult dogs. So before we dive in, Christy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Christy Robertson. Um, I got into dogs because my husband wanted Siberian Huskies and wasn't willing to consider any other breed. And I wanted really well-behaved Huskies. So we knew that they were going to need a lot of activity and that led to dog-powered sports. And then one of my Huskies really loved it. Turns out I really loved it. 
So that's how I got into it. And I, I can't say where I'm from because I'm really not from anywhere. I move every three to five years, which uh, turned out to be a very good training opportunity for my dogs. And I'll talk about that a little later. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really interesting that you do that because it does give you a different perspective. You guys had to prepare for traveling for mm-hmm. different reasons besides just races. So now it's kind of a pro at it. It comes, comes yes. easy for you. And it, talk to us a does. little bit. Talk to us a little bit about the dogs that you currently have. Yeah. So I have three Siberian Huskies. I have a Rhaegar. He is my oldest, um, and he does not enjoy the racing environment. He likes to be very chill. I refer to him as a cat. Um, and then I have Brendan. He's my race Siberian. He is a confirmation lions dog, which means he's pretty, but not necessarily wasn't expected for him to be fast, but he holds his own and he just loves all joring sports, just loves it. So he's a joy to go out with. And then we have little Liana. Um, she's the newest addition. She was born on July 4th. And so she's 14 weeks now. And she is a mix of confirmation lines and racing, working lines. So we're really excited. And I'm really excited to add her with Brendan and really just work through all the different bike joring and starting from the, some, from scratch with her. And starting to work on prepping for travel, which is what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> travel and moving. The expectation is we will move in the first couple of years of her life. So she needs to be able to handle a temporary apartment and hotels, not just for racing, but because that's just part of our life. Yep. Part of your life. And Hannah, I know that you are also raising a puppy. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself to the podcast and all of the dogs that you currently share your life with? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Hannah Brown. I am from St. Louis, Missouri. I got into dry lamb mushing because I met a girl at a dog park. Um, She's now currently my best friend because we both had huskies. She got me involved in a local husky like meetup group in St. Louis. So we started talking and then realized, hey, you know, we both want to start dry lamb mushing. So we both got rigs and then kind of just jumped in the mushing together. And so that's kind of how that started. And then, I mean, it's all just like snowballed from now, from there. And I have um, currently have six dogs, two that I raced competitively. And I also have a puppy that I just got too. So I'm excited to add him to my race team next year. And you do mostly bike joring with them, right, Hannah, in terms of the competitive races that you've done so far? Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And same for you, Christy. You're doing uh, some canacross, some bike jor. I know your husband also does hey, canacross. My husband does the canacross. Let's be real. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do all bike jor, uh, okay. ski jor as well. Excellent. All right. Well, today today's topic, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about traveling with dogs. And since you guys have puppies, I figure that's a really great place for us to start because if you know you want to get into any kind of dog sport, uh, whether that's dog-powered sports or dabble in agility or nose work, you got to get used to traveling with your dog. Your dog has to get used to traveling. And there's a lot of different things that we can focus on when they are puppies to help them learn that new is okay. And a lot of that goes into our early life socialization. And I know that Christy, you've been taking your pup, even though you do quite a bit of training at home, you've been taking her to group classes to start to work on a very key piece in puppyhood life, which is learning how to be around other dogs and learning how to relax with other things around us. So talk to us a little bit about what you've been doing so far. Yeah, so I always look 
for a good training studio wherever we live when we've added a dog. I don't care how much I think I know. I always learn something. Um, in fact, I typically learn a lot. And the beauty of it is that with Liana, I knew more and I knew how important it was to take her to those classes. And even if I didn't learn anything, the fact that I can work with her, be in that environment with eight other puppies and humans and different floors and light. Um, it's just such a huge piece of their development and it's worth every penny. So I was really, really fortunate. I found a class to join within, oh gosh, I think her second, within the first couple, like the, the second week of her being home with us. And you figure she had to stay in a hotel and fly with me from Seattle to Iowa, where I currently reside, in her first 48 hours with me. So she's she had a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to experience, you know, and I think I, I love what you said about always finding a new place to learn no matter where you live and always learning something because oftentimes, um, you know, even as a professional, people think, oh gosh, well, your dogs must be perfect and they absolutely are not. <laughs> um, one of the best things about being a dog trainer and being a dog handler is that you're always learning something new and that's how it should be. And if you keep an open mind, there's always little tidbits you can pick up no matter who you're talking to that might really influence how you raise that next puppy, you know, and, and I certainly dog is different. Absolutely. Every dog is different. Their motivators are going to be different. So to be able to keep learning and, and change what you're doing to best suit the dog in front of you is really important. So you mentioned new environments, working on new services, having distractions like other people and dogs around. Is there anything in particular, Hannah, that you do with your puppies to try to get them comfortable with the world? Because I know you do a lot of adventures with them, a lot of hiking with them and traveling. So what kind of things do you focus on for your puppies? So I do like to bring my puppies um, on training runs with me. Um, I usually am never alone. So I usually have somebody with me. So they can stay back at the car with the puppy. Um, I put them on like a tie out and then they get to experience like the whole setting, everything going on and so they can just take it in and stuff like that. And then that way, you know, once they see us like take off, they're like, oh, wow, you know, <laughs> they get really excited and they're excited when they see us coming back. So, you know, they're like, okay, you know, this is going to be my future someday. And then, you know, usually right when you like hook them up, for the first time, you know, they're just like naturals and I just like love to see that. So having them um, experience that environment and then also the race environment, if you can um, manage to bring your puppy with you to a race or like a smaller event, that's also really great too. Yeah, I think that's huge because oftentimes when we talk about socialization with puppies, we're not just looking at getting them out and about everywhere, right? We want to make sure that those experiences they have are obviously really positive, that they're having a good time, but that they're also kind of targeted to what we want to do. So even if, you know, you've never been to a race before, but think you might want to, you could find maybe some local festivals or a local 5k where you can just go hang out with your puppy a little bit at a distance. And that way they're kind of getting comfortable with those big crowds. I really like to work on attention and relaxation so that it kind of becomes part of their routine when they go to a new place. They go, okay, I'm somewhere new. This is when I focus on, mm -hmm. on mom, right? This is when I focus on my handler so that they get in that habit of getting somewhere new and turning on the attention and the focus instead of getting so enamored, you know, and, and excited by everything else around them that they're completely 
ignoring me. Um, I love Hannah that you take them out on those training runs. It must be pretty fun to kind of see that excitement start for the sport start building at a really young age. I think I yeah, need definitely. to do that myself. Yeah. So it means I have to tell yeah. my husband, he has to come with me just to have Leanna watch Brendan and I head out. I like yeah. that idea. I'm going I'm yeah. to steal it. <laughs> well, it's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. You know, when we talk about travel too, there's obviously a lot of things that go into that, that we have to start getting them used to at a young age. A lot of people will have their dogs travel in crates. So we need to get them comfortable with that. Um, Hannah, you mentioned getting comfortable and getting used to being on a tie out right? Where they're kind of tethered around our campsite, tethered to the vehicle so that they got comfortable with that. What age do you generally start doing that with your puppies? Honestly, just as pretty much as soon as I get them. <laughs> so I got Rath around like 10 weeks old. I probably took him, took him on the first training run, maybe around 12 weeks. So that's when I started with him. And then he's, he's doing really well with it. He got a little experience this past weekend when I was at a race. So he, he did pretty good. And what kind of things are you looking for when you are going to these events in terms of watching your puppy, making sure they have a good time? Usually what I do is whenever we first get there, I'll kind of get the puppy out, walk him around, um, not in like a super crazy spot where there's a bunch of barking dogs or anything, um, just so he can kind of like decompress and just take in the whole scene and the situation. And then when he's, you know, calmed down a bit and seems more comfortable, you know, just put him on, I put him on the tie out for a little bit. And then, you know, I just keep an eye on him and stuff like that. But, um, and then I give him also some crate time. I'm not leaving him on the tie out for the entire race or anything. So it's usually just like alternating between, you know, rest time in the crate and then time out at the race. And Christy, I know with crate work, you've done a lot of uh, X-Pen and crate work, starting from a young age, getting them comfortable with being inside the crates. And obviously that translates pretty well to the car. Do you ever find that your puppies have any challenges between, you know, you flew with your last puppy. So being in a crate on the airplane, being on a, in a crate at the house and then in the car. So I'm going to be honest, I was really anxious about flying with a puppy. Yeah. Um, I flew, I booked a flight from Chicago to Seattle. So there was, there wasn't going to be any layovers. I was really worried about it, but you know what? She slept the whole way. I, I worked, <laughs> I worked on the timing. I got a first thing out flight. I withheld some food. I actually got up in the middle of the night and fed her a little and then withheld in the morning um, and then gave her ice chips and little bits of food in on the plane. Nobody knew she was there. She didn't make a sound until we were docked at the gate in Chicago. She was so easy. And what I've learned is that has translated. And so like she just hops right up in her little carrier right in the car. And I, I will say the one thing I didn't mention is that I did ship the carrier I was using to fly with to my breeder. And Donna worked with Liana, my puppy. So the one, the carrier smelled like home. And two, it wasn't the first time that she had seen it. Um, so that helped immensely. And now she just hops into her carrier in the car and sleeps. The crate at home, we had a little bit more trouble with. And I think that was just, she wasn't used to being by herself. Um, so we took that really slow and we had it started off in our bedroom and then it moved to my office where I work from home. I'm next to her all day long, but I oscillate between open pen time, office time, and actually crate self-soothing time 
um, throughout the day, plus obviously exercise and some training. Now, in in terms of both of you guys, actually, you both are bringing in puppies that you have plans of them being part of a larger team. So not only do we want our puppies getting used to travel and getting used to race environments and just generally being comfortable with new, we also want them to be comfortable working with our other dogs. And managing those multi-dog household relationships can certainly be challenging at times. So Christy, I know that you have started doing some group walks with your crew as well as some group training. Talk to us a little bit about that. And can I just say yesterday or the day before I took Liana and Brendan for a walk by myself and I was so excited. I told all my friends, and there were very few people that understand why I was so excited that I could walk my dogs by myself. Um, <laughs> Brendan is not an easy dog. He doesn't like puppies. I knew this. I knew this going in. I did a both myself and my husband, we did a ton of preparing for it. We have X-Pens in three places in the house. We have pet crates in places in the house. Um, plus, Rhaegar uh, was finishing up chemo for lymphoma, which meant we had to ensure that Leanna never came in contact with any of his bodily waste while he was having chemo. It was a very stressful two weeks. Um, but we managed it and we just did so much prep for it. And, you know, it was easier than I, than I was worried it would be. And now on walks, Brendan is, is really good with Liana. I still don't trust him to have open play. We will keep structured. I want them to love running together. And so I need for them to have just positive after positive experience. And I don't want to have any setbacks. So we're taking it just really slow and it seems to be working out. I'm going to steal Hannah's idea and bring Liana to one of my next morning runs and have Ken come. And I think she, because she, if we take the boys out without her, she's not a happy girl. So yeah, yeah, I, I think that'll be great. And I think once she's just a little bit bigger so she can handle her own, she'll go with Brendan. But we'll probably start her with Rhaegar because he did get a clear. Uh, he is Canna Crossing, low mileage with Ken at a very slow, chill speed because he likes that. And so we'll probably start her with Rhaegar because he's very tolerant with puppies. Yeah. Well, I think that's so important. A couple of things you mentioned there. One about taking things slow and them learning how to be a part of the action as well as being left out of the action. Because Hannah, I'm sure that you're pretty comfortable with this process, having six dogs. It's not like every time we go out, we can take all the dogs with us. You know, there's going to be some moments where even if we're at a race, you know, some of the dogs might be running in this class and some might not be. They might be hanging out in their crates or on their tether. And I think that's such an important life skill for them to have. Learning, even though they are in a multi-dog household, learning how to be comfortable and confident when they're by themselves. And a lot of that foundation work does start off when they are puppies. And then making sure that all those experiences they're having when they are a part of the team, when they are a part of that pack, are all positive. And that really does come down to us having to manage certain situations if we know, for example, that our dog is not a crazy fan of puppies, you know, or if we know that one of the dog's resource guards, toys or food, you know, there's always different dynamics that as owners, we need to be aware of and manage that. Hannah, how do you start to, I know that you're bringing your young one with you now and on those group runs and she hangs out at the car. Is she doing group hikes with you guys yet? When do you start, you know, getting them, the puppies more engaged in some of those group activities? So he's been on a few hikes with us just when um, we were in the UP this past weekend. Uh, I kind of hung out at the beach and they were all running around and having a great time. 
don't take him on any long hikes yet, but he'll definitely, you know, work up to that. I think one of the cool things about taking our puppies out with us is all of those life experiences they get to have. And especially when we're talking about our dogs in terms of them being canine athletes, those group walks, those group hikes are also really beneficial physically and developmentally for our puppies, getting them out, helping them learn more body awareness and helping them build those nice strong muscles. And a lot of the times when we take our puppies places, it can be really exciting for them. But I think that one of the things we also need to focus on is going somewhere and and not necessarily doing anything. You know, one thing I like to do a lot with my puppy or what we call observe and learns where we go somewhere and we just chill out. Because oftentimes for our puppies, they figure out pretty quickly that going to the trailhead is a ton of fun, you know, and then, and we certainly want our puppies to enjoy that. We want them to enjoy that sport, but we also need them to hang out and be comfortable while they're on their tieouts. You know, and just because we're at the trailhead doesn't mean we're necessarily going to do anything. So how do you guys with your puppies manage that balance of, you know, high arousal and we want them to be excited about it versus helping them relax in those arousing environments? So I, I have a unique training opportunity near me. So I ride in a park that's very close to my house where my husband also plays ultimate frisbee. So when we drive to that park, Brendan especially knows, oh, this is where we go bike touring. But it's also where dad plays Frisbee, where we hang out on the sideline and we watch (laughs) and we are calm. So I get to do training in both. It is two separate locations, usually where I start from. Usually. Uh, Sometimes I start from the same place. I move all over that park. Uh, But we, I bring mats and water bowls. And sometimes I even bring chews. Not always. Chews can be problematic um, with any other uh, dogs present, especially if they're high value. But I always have treats on me, almost always. They're in Ken's Frisbee bag. They're everywhere. And so we reward on the side of the Frisbee field. And then they get to see dad run around. And Liana's going to learn really soon that when Ken is done, he then often takes the dogs for a run after he plays Frisbee. Sometimes um, it becomes a family thing or other Frisbee players get to experience Ken across with the Huskies. So that's what we do. We, we try to mix it in both both ways. My dogs don't do tie-outs really well. I was a pet owner. I never had any intention to get into racing or to really get to where I am now. Um, so Brendan and Rhaegar just aren't great on tie-outs. They'll do it mostly in the camping scenario. They don't really like it at races. They'd rather be in the car. Uh, but Liana, we're going to make a concerted effort to, to train that in. So... What about you, Hannah? How do you manage that, you know, wanting them to be excited and building that arousal and excitement at the trailhead versus, you know, us having to live with our dogs and and take them places and have them be good citizens? Yeah. So one of the things I like to do is just um, like sit in front of like a busy store where there's people going in and out all the time and work on, you know, puppy focusing on me, you know, maybe just relaxing or maybe doing a few tricks for me. And it's hard, it's hard to tell people, no, you can't pet my puppy, but you just have to sometimes, especially when you're training um, younger dogs or um, new dogs that you have. So that's one of the things I really like to do with my dogs. Another thing is I do agility at the place where I train and I also do um, obedience at the same place. So kind of like what Christy was saying, um, sometimes we're going 
to agility and it's going to be fun and exciting. And sometimes we're going to do obedience and, you know, we got to be calm and relaxed. So it's kind of like throwing them through a loop, you know, what are we going to do today? You know, so yeah. <laughs> That's part of life though, isn't it? You know, learning yeah. how, even if they think something exciting is going to, going to happen, learning how to have that off switch. Um, when I am taking puppies out with me, I often do very similar to what you guys do. We'll go out to a public park or somewhere where there might be some restaurants where there's some activities. And I rotate between the puppy hanging out in their crate with a chew learning how to just relax in their crate with all that excitement happening. And then, hey, you're going to come out and we're going to play some games. Maybe you play with a toy. Maybe we do a little attention work. And then, okay, now we're, we're done and you're just going to chill on your mat. And I think that ability for them to be able to turn that on switch and pay attention and engage, but also then be able to turn that off and not constantly need us to be able to be that by themselves and be relaxed, whether that's on a mat, in a crate, or on a tether to the car. I think all of that is really important for them to learn and find that balance. And all of that, you know, even though we're not hooking our young puppies up in harness and running them, all of that in terms of training and socialization is going to help them as an adult in these race environments. Yeah, when my dogs see the mat, it, they know good things rain from the sky. Oh, they just want to hop on that mm -hmm. mat as fast as possible. And that's still true for Rhaegar. We bring them to breweries. They know, they know when the mat comes out, we hang out on the mat and mom and dad will make sure that we are paid handsomely. Well, in those routines, you know, obviously you, you're seeing that stick in them at, a, at an older age as well. And I think that's so important because when we go to these race environments or when we travel with our dogs to hotels, everything's going to be new. You know, maybe we go to the same race every year, but it's still going to be pretty new. It's not like we're spending a lot of time there. So for us to be able to bring some semblance of routine with us mm -hmm. from home into these new environments helps gives our, give our dogs confidence, helps them know what they should be doing, you know, so that we're seeing more of that behavior that we want from them. So let's transition. Let's say our puppies have matured. We've got a, <laughs> an adolescent dog or a young adult dog, and we are heading out to races. And I know, Christy, you, as we speak, are packing up to head out to a race. So Talk is Hannah. <laughs> oh, Hannah, you're going to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So <laughs> both of you girls are packing up and getting ready to go. Do you, because you've been doing this for a while, do you find yourself still making packing lists or what is your kind of mental prep as you guys get ready to head out of town? Well, I have a list. Um, I have it in computerized. I have a list for every season. And so I always start there and I completely take over the dining room table. I feel more comfortable, comfortable, prepared. If I can just lay everything out and see it, make sure I have everything present. And then I, I, I pack. My goal is always to have the car ready to go the day before, but always a list. And I always, always cross things off. Um, Cause if I don't, I forget something. But the other piece I always remind myself, I'm not most of these races, there are stores. So if something were to go wrong or I forgot something, I can buy things. Also, the mushing community is really amazing. So if something were to be left behind, uh, I know that I can put out a request for help. And I, I remind myself of that so that I don't feel as stressed. Yeah. Packing. Now talk to us about some of those things that are on that list. Some of the things that you bring for your dog that you know you'll need, some of the things you bring for yourself, and then some things that maybe you don't often need, but you like to have for a backup plan. 
So yes, um, I also have a list too. Um, I have a human list and I have a dog list. So my last race, I didn't look at my list at all. And then right when I was packing up the car, I was like, let me just check that list and make sure I got everything. And of course, there was something on there that I forgot. So it's important <laughs> to have a list. <laughs> so Your list saved the day. <laughs> it did, yes. And <laughs> um, so on my dog list, I have things like, you know, my bike drawing lines, harnesses, necklines a doggy first aid kit, their shot records. If you have registered breed dogs, you need to bring their AKC papers, um, leashes, towels just in case, extra food, stuff like that. And then my human list, I have, you know, clothes, different, different layers, helmets, safety glasses or goggles, first aid kit for a human, <laughs> tissues, hot hands, and it's going to be really cold out. Those are great. Um, at you also need to bring, um, of course, snacks. I also like to bring tie down straps. So just in case you have like an issue with, you know, your bike or, you know, your scooter or whatever you have. Or if you win the sled or whatever giveaway yeah. prize and yeah, you have to exactly. get something else home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Christy, are you trying to manifest um, uh, sled yeah. winning? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> Yeah, no, I do the same thing and I bring mine into for the hotel. I like to have a go bag for the hotel. I don't want to touch my race dog stuff when I go into a hotel. If I can help it, I can't always help it, mm -hmm. but if I can. So I have a go bag for the hotel. I have dog equipment, just like Hannah said. I have my human gear, just like Hannah said. I have a list of nice to haves. Um, I really like to have camp chairs, thermal mugs. I want a blanket. Literally so that when I'm sitting in my camp chair at a race, I can put a blanket on. Um, cash. I often don't carry cash. Mm -hmm. It's something that's on my list because I have to go and get it, but I find that it's helpful at races. Uh, whether there's a food truck or you're, there's no Wi-Fi, uh, cash has come in handy. And then I have a whole kit on bikes. So I've kind of dove off the deep end on bikes, mm -hmm. and I now bring at least two race worthy bikes to every race. And I choose which one I'm going to ride based on either my confidence, which is right now because I'm working with a new bike. I'm not very confident um, or conditions. So yeah, I also then bring extra tires, pump tire sealant. Uh, I set up my bikes tubeless, or tubeless. So they run sealant on the inside. So I have a patch repair kit and clean up locks and cabling. I, I am planning to not bring my bikes into the hotel this go round. This is a first for me. I have heavy duty security attaching these to my car. You basically will have to steal my car. Hopefully that never happens because I love my car. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to, I'll be by myself at this next race and I just don't want to have to bring them inside. A lot of mushers do this. So I figure I could do it. So I, I also have all of the tools to replace all the things. And I've been trying to learn how to do all that maintenance on my bike because what if I have something wrong, go wrong and I need to fix it. And well, I, I'm not there yet. I can't fix everything, but I'm working on it. <laughs> it's always a learning process. That uh, bike kit that you mentioned is definitely something that my husband and I have been building, not only in our knowledge, but also our toolbox in the car so that we are more prepared and knock on wood. We have not had to fix anything at a race, but we absolutely have had to fix things on vacation. So we'll take our dogs with us and go on trips. And we've definitely had to, and 
I'm grateful that we brought because we kind of have some unusual bikes and the components for them are not easy to find. They're pretty much all special order. And so for us, we were certainly really grateful when we did have those pieces with us and could fix them. So I love that you've added that to your uh, race kit, you know, so that you can take care of that bike along with all of our uh, human and canine needs. And I am with you too, Christy, in terms of the go bag. Some of our trips, we have to stop. We travel two days, one direction. And so we're often stopping at a hotel halfway uh, to our destination. And I don't want to have to lug my whole bag in. I don't want to touch my race stuff. I want to be able to just grab basically an overnight that has all this stuff for me and the dogs in one bag. So especially if I'm traveling alone and I've got one or two dogs with me, I just get the dogs, get that single bag and can walk right into that hotel room. And I have found that that's been really helpful for me. Yeah. Even this, this summer, we drove out to Washington. We spent two weeks out there uh, and there was two of us, but we had both the dogs. It wasn't a race. It was for a personal, for a pleasure trip. But if we had had to take everything out, it would have been really tough. And we do have a travel crate. Uh, Brendan does not free sleep very well. He prefers a crate. So I have, and he doesn't really care what the crate is truthfully. So he has a travel crate. Rhaegar could care less. He'll sleep anywhere. So we had to carry that in as well. Um, it's very lightweight, that one. It's really not a, if you want to break out of it, he could. Yeah. But it's perfect. And he settles right down, but it was clutch. That was a full, it was four days and it was a lot of nights in hotels across the country. So it was really great to just be able to grab the hotel bag and not have to touch anything else. Now, I know some people are pretty, uh, maybe superstitious is the right word, where they or meticulous, where they really like to keep things in exactly the same place, whether they're training at home and they pack a bag for the day or packing their car up with their crates and all their dog stuff. Do you guys have particular places where you pack the same stuff in the same location so it's easy to find or is every trip a little different for you? For me, it depends on which car we're taking. I often show up at races in a two-door sport coupe, which gets a lot of looks, right? But, uh, you know, it's she's the bikes go on the roof. I can fit my dogs. We're good to go. That one is very particular. Um, and really, you just got to pack it all in. The, the, the travel crate only fits in one spot. So you basically work around that and you pay, play Tetris. But this is really to tell all the people that don't have a van or an SUV that it can be done, <laughs> period. Don't let someone tell you it can't be done. It can. Um, otherwise, mostly I just work with what, I'm, what I've got. I am not meticulous in that way. I do, however, use the same bags. So I have a pink, like a bright pink and maroon striped bag. That is always race gear. Um, and I have a different colored white bag that is always food. And I just recognize what those are. So then I can go after that color bag. I'm kind of the same way as in, I have like three crates in my car and there's only, you know, so much space. So they're always in the same spots. And I kind of play like Tetris with like stacking the bags and everything else, just kind of like around them or like in little like corners of the car. I mean, I mix things up. Um, but like how Christy mentioned with the bag thing, I always use the same bags for everything. So that makes it a little bit easier when trying to find something. Yeah. The last thing you want is to be trying to get ready for your class and you can't find something. So I, I get the having 
having the same bags and having some semblance of routine in that aspect too, so that when you need to go grab something, it's always there. Uh, for us in our household, you know, I'm I'm the one with the SUV and the dog crates. My husband drives. Hey, nothing wrong. With that. My husband drives a smaller car, so when we pack <laughs> up and go, it's always my car, which makes it easy for me because I always know where everything is. Then, you know, so our water bowls and our poop bags and leashes and treats, they're always in the same place. So it's easy for me to to know where they're at and grab them and go. I think that makes the most sense. It's efficient too, so that you people know it. And if you're a part of a some sort of duo or multi or friends that share vehicles. I know a lot of people that share vehicles uh, and to, to travel or to race. It is helpful to always put things in the same place. I just am limited by my vehicles. <laughs> but you make it work no matter which vehicle you have, which I love. Oh, yeah. So I'm in the same sense where I, I like to have everything packed the night before. Oftentimes when I'm leaving, I'm leaving at the crack of dawn, whether it is for a vacation or for a race. And so having everything prepared ahead of time the night before really helps me. And then when we get on the road, generally when we start to need gas, I'll start to look for some nice places where we can stop, fill up, and then I'll find actually the nearest restaurant. And that's where I take the dogs out to let them go to the bathroom. I find for me at least that a lot of the gas stations we stop at just are a little bit dirtier. I worry about puppies picking things up that they shouldn't, or even adult dogs picking things up they shouldn't. And then that way, you know, within at least the same exit, we can get all of our needs done. I do know some people who plan their stops out in terms of mileage and will plan restaurants and activities and stuff along the way. How do you guys handle those breaks for your dogs? I, I, um, I don't pre-plan my stops. I, I plan a point A and a point B. And then I figure it out as I go, but I do similar things. It's, we will stop at rest stops if we have to, uh, but I don't prefer that. Well, I've also moved across country several times. So at this point, especially on the Northern route across the country, I know where there are things. I know where all the good swimming holes are in Missoula, Montana, for instance. Um, so I will try to stop in places I already know so that I can go and explore with the dogs. Or when I have cats, uh, I have learned how to keep my car running so that I can run off and watch things in Yellowstone Park, but make sure the AC stays on in my car. I have a lot of crazy moving stories with animals. So you make it work. What about you, Hannah? I know if you're traveling solo, especially with all of those dogs that can be time consuming to take those breaks. Is that something that you just do when you need to, or do you plan that ahead so that you can stop in a open space for them? I'm definitely not a planner. So, but I also, I don't ever travel alone. So I always have like my mom or my husband with me whenever I go to races. So what we usually do is the passenger will always like scope out the gas station or, you know, wherever we're stopping. Um, via like satellite so I always make sure like even if there is like we're going to a gas station and we're letting the dogs out at the gas station I always try to find one with plenty of like grass or like a field around next to it where I know that the dogs are going to have like plenty of space to go to the bathroom and it's not just a tiny little chunk of grass like with trash like like you said so um that's what we do just because I don't like to like stop you know four or five times during a trip I try to make as little stops as possible <laughs> yeah I'm the same way once we get going I 
try my best to just get there to the point that once we drove straight from Colorado to Atlanta, Georgia, one go, no hotels, just went for it. Um, But I do something similar to you, Hannah, in terms of planning. I have some uh, dietary restrictions that definitely uh, prevent me from eating most mainstream places. So whenever we're starting to get low on gas, we kind of try to plan all of it at once. So whoever isn't driving, we'll try to look ahead and look for restaurants that might be suitable. And then we'll just do everything at once. We walk the dogs, make sure they've pottied, give them water, fill the car up, grab some food so that we're back on the road as quickly as possible. So that works That works for us too. But I know that that can certainly be easier when we are traveling with someone else, which sometimes we're not. So when I'm traveling by myself, I generally will just keep an eye on larger cities that I come into and look at those road stops. And I do for safety, just try to stop during the day instead of at night if I can. And I try to stop at the busier exits with a lot of lights, a lot of activity. So they're, I'm not stopping in the middle of nowhere as much as possible. Definitely. I've done a lot of those long hauls. I will say there are times if I'm going through certain areas, if there's really nice hiking that I will break and do like an hour hike or something to that effect. Uh, we have found that as the dogs, the boys especially get older, they, they appreciate that even if it's just a quarter of a mile, you know, like it, just a little bit of a walk. We did that a lot on our last cross-country move. We also had really great places to explore. So when you're going across the Continental Divide and the Prius desperately needs a break because it's hot, you know, we, we, we take a little bit of a hiking break. Kind of, it depends. Yeah. We, we haven't done that in, with our races, but we have done that with our vacations, especially where we're driving two days in one direction. We'll try to pick a pretty park each day, a new state park, something new to explore so that we all get a little bit of a break. And that helps the dogs a lot too, because then not only are they getting out and their needs are getting met, but they're able to really stretch their legs and decompress. And then they're really ready for that second half of the trip. And Hannah, you did that coming back from your race last weekend, You st- right? You stopped and did some hiking with them? Yeah, I did. So we hiked Saturday and then Sunday um, after the races since they ended kind of earlier. So we had plenty of time to enjoy that. That's nice. It's always nice when you can tie that in. Now, in terms of you know, leaving before the trip. Obviously, when we're coming back from races, the dogs are pretty tired. They don't need quite as much stimulation. And before we're leaving for the race, we certainly want to watch how much activity they're getting uh, so that we are kind of saving those fuel reserves for race day. But we certainly want them to travel well and settle in well to the hotel. So what do you guys have routines that you generally do in terms of exercise and mental stimulation, both day before you leave and then once you get to the hotel? So it's funny because I was literally just thinking about going to the race this weekend and (laughs) the weather has not been cooperating. So we are under conditions. I'm actually planning this race. I've set my expectations as it is training for us. We'll have a good time. Um, I will not be highly encouraging Brendan to run his best, his fastest speeds. He can do the mileage, but I think he needs to, I, I need to definitely change my expectations. We'll see how he does. But so I was trying to decide based on weather and then this week of when I should get my last training run in. I, I thought it was going to be today. It's looking like tomorrow we won't have rain. So it'll be Wednesday will be his last training run. They get sniff walks every morning period. That's just part of our routine. Uh, all three of them. Um, I now go, it used to be Ken always did them in the morning. That was, that's, that was his thing. But now I go too because puppy (laughs) and we'll do that. And then 
the day of, I tend to leave in the morning, so he'll do his sniff walk, and then we'll go. We'll get to the hotel, manage through the check-in, and pop up his crate, because once he sees that, it's interesting. It just triggers, okay, this is home for the night. I'm good. And then we go for a walk. And so I've already scoped out around the different hotels, like where I can walk. And there are some hotels around the country that have phenomenal walking space, either around or adjacent. Um, and I take advantage of that, or I drive over to a park, but always we go for a walk within the first probably 30 minutes to an hour when we land at a hotel. Chelsea, you happen to know that because of the last race we were there together, we ended up outside on our walks at the same time. Right? We so. almost had identical routines. Every time I was out there doing a sniffy and decompression walk, you were too, oh, hey, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Malamute on one side of the street, Huskies on the other. It's fantastic. Right, and we were keeping a lot of space. Right? I, I also, I mean, I, I go out of my way to keep space from other dogs, not because I think there's going to be a problem, but also just so that it's not distracting for them so they can just do their sniffs. And as much as I really did want to come say hi to, to you and you knew that, and I think Tyler was with you right that first time. Yep. I also realized you recognized you were doing your, your decompression walk. I was doing mine. So it was like, Hey, yeah. <laughs> now I don't know about you guys, but when I am choosing hotels, when I'm traveling that also the ability to walk around in, in close proximity also goes into my hotel selection. When you guys are looking at that, at your travel accommodations, you know, what kind of things are you thinking of to make it easiest for you and your dogs and your routines? Well, I basically look for the same thing, a place where there's, you know, a lot of grass and space where I can walk them around. Like you said, if there's like a park nearby, sometimes we'll drive if that's really close just to give them some extra, you know, decompression after the long drive. So I am a, a frequent flyer with a specific brand and I have learned which ones of their hotels that I prefer when I'm traveling with animals. Um, a lot of it is because of the way their rooms are set up. So there's more space, free space for the dogs which I find helpful. And also if I have to stash some bikes in the hotel room. So I, I do have a preference on brand. I will start there. You can't always do that with races. A lot of races are pretty rural areas. So you, you have to kind of make do. One of the things I will look at though, is if there's any parks in the area. And I don't mean dog parks. I mean, go for a walk park. I find that mm -hmm. Brendan really needs that after the Saturday race day. It's like he just needs his, his brain just needs to reset. Um, and sometimes I'll do a little long line walking. Not always, but sometimes. And then the other thing I always do is I always call. I don't just book online. Um, the online information is wrong in a lot of hotels. So, and typically online will tell you dogs are not allowed, but they are. And I know this about so many hotels at this point that now I just always call to book. Um, I just don't do it online. I call directly. Yeah. I find for me too, depending on whether or not I'm traveling alone or traveling with other people, I try to make it as easy as possible for myself in terms of where my hotel room is within the hotel, within reason, you know, Near be, the stairs. being close to the stairs, being close to a side exit. So I'm not always mm -hmm. having to walk two big dogs right through the main part of the hotel, just so that people aren't stopping us. You know, I love that people love my dogs and I love that my dogs love people, but I 
am not there for social time with, with other people. You know, I don't want my dogs to get overwhelmed with that. So I want them to be able to have that quiet time when they're not working, you know, when we're not at the race to be able to decompress and, and have their alone chill time in the hotel room. And I need that too, just as much as they do. So the side exits are helpful for us. First floor when possible is helpful for us. And then those nice walking areas around the hotel. I do the satellite views like Hannah, you mentioned for the gas stations. I do that for the hotels too. And I think, okay, are there enough areas around this hotel that we could get out for a decent, you know, not crazy long, but a decent walk so that they can stretch their legs. Because the other thing too, for us, I'm generally traveling minimum 15 hours to get to events. Oftentimes it's even 18 hours. And so for me, the dogs are in their crates during that time for safety in the car. And when we're not in those crates, we need to be stretching our legs so that they're not getting cramps and getting tight. So for us, that that walking and decompression is also really important. Yeah, the other thing I do is, so Rayar actually does not prefer to eat out of a regular dog bowl. He always eats out of a slow feeder, always. In fact, sometimes he will refuse to eat if you don't bring him a slow feeder. But Brendan is not that way, but he does enjoy activities, chewing. I bring a couple different chews. I'm really careful about which chews I bring just so that I know his GI tract won't have any trouble, especially on races. Not as problematic if it's vacations. I have one for every day. And I always have at least one new squishy stuffy toy that makes noises. Typically, it's the hedgehogs. There is a big hedgehog sitting on my dining room table right now, packed and ready to it'll get packed and be ready to go. And I find they just really enjoy that play time and that free chew time. Yeah, we do the same. And and I too, you know, we want to watch those GI tracks. So I make sure that it's, if it's something that's upset their stomach before, I generally won't bring it to an event. I try to stick with routine in that sense as well. Whatever they handle well at home, you know, we'll bring along. And then for mine, I try to go with one hard and one soft. So we'll generally do something like a split antler or a buffalo horn. So if they really need to kind of de-stress and grind something, they can. And then generally a either um, rotated toy that's been in the closet and they haven't seen for a while. So it's air quote new or a new toy so that it's exciting for them and they'll be able to kind of decompress because oftentimes, despite how exhausted I am after sitting in the car driving, doing nothing, my dogs don't always get to the hotel and feel as tired as I am. So of course that walk when we get there helps, but they do need those outlets to continue to have positive outlets for that energy. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Hannah? Do you guys plan certain activities for your dogs to do? Are your dogs pretty well-versed now in terms of traveling and being able to settle down in new environments? (laughs) Um, My older ones are, yes. It was a little challenging with the puppy for the first first time. But like you said, I um, also bring, uh, I brought shoes for him. So um, I gave him kind of a bully stick and he kind of like calmed down a little bit, but he was just like ready to play. (laughs) So, you know, he was like ready to wrestle and ready to go. So I kind of just took, you know, him outside and then let him play with like Wendy for a bit. And they kind of got out like more of the energy that they had, like kind of from being cooped up in it for so long. And then we just went back into the hotel and everyone kind of got like a chew and then, you know, we, we settled them down. So now I know that Hannah, you do a lot of your 
training locally at home with friends, and you of course have friends when you get to these events, have you ever stayed in a hotel room with somebody else and their dogs? No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't either. Christy, I assume you haven't either. I have. You have. Okay. So talk to us about that because there's a possibility <laughs> that I will be doing that this year. We will see. But for dogs that don't necessarily know each other, you know, of course, sometimes when we travel, we want to reduce those expenses wherever we can. And staying in hotel rooms and splitting that cost is often a great way to do that. But having dogs that don't live together, spend a lot of time together in close proximities can be challenging for a lot of dogs. So talk to me about some of the things that you did to help set the dogs up for success in that. So in fairness, I need to state that this is a friend and our dogs. Get okay. I know, I know you're talking about. Right. So, uh, <laughs> and Brendan is dog selective. So I, I would have to do crate and rotate or pen work if I was to share a hotel room with a complete stranger, strange dog. Um, however, I have several friends where our dogs are maybe not the best of friends, but can absolutely spend time in the same space. And we have rented houses together. We're just a little bit more aware. We don't do any high value toys, shoes, uh, food is always se- separate, right? Either crates or rooms. Um, and then the hotel space, it has to be a dog that specifically Brittany gets along with. Uh, Rhaegar can bunk with anyone. I, I was I, I was lucky with him. He's he's just not a Siberian Siberian. Uh, <laughs> but he 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 could share his space, not a problem. Brendan and I have to be careful. Yeah. When I've traveled with friends, you know, the car is not an issue because the dogs are crated and they're all conditioned to love their spaces. And the time I have vacationed, we've always done Airbnbs. It's often several of us so we'll all have dogs Mm -hmm. fortunately the dogs spend a lot of time together beforehand to get used to one another we do a lot of group walks and activities so they're comfortable in that setting but moving into a tighter indoor space can be more challenging i think that it's really important if you are doing something like that that everybody knows their dogs and their dog needs as well as your dog and your dog's needs right because we certainly don't want to have any tense situations between the people when we're trying to keep our dogs safe and quiet like for us, that has worked out well when each person can kind of keep an eye on their own dogs. We've had separate rooms in that circumstance and definitely separate crates. For my dogs, when they've had enough, they need to chill, you know, and they'll walk away and go find their crate. So I always like to make sure that they have that option because as much as they love playtime and love time together with friends, we also at a race environment want them to be relaxing and building those mm-hmm. fuel reserves back up so that they're ready for that next day. So making sure that they're not overdoing it or becoming too stressed out in that close proximity. Yeah, the only time in a race scenario that I have traveled with another dog um, was a dog that Brendan in particular just loves and then Rhaegar runs with her. So, I mean, for really she could be my dog and vice versa. So that is a little different. Uh, because they have actually lived together for a month at a time or things to that effect. So Yeah. Well, for a lot of our listeners, they'll be getting ready to go to races with their dogs, maybe getting used to traveling with their dogs for the first time. But something that, and I will fully admit this, that I was not even quite aware of coming to my first race was the environment. You know, certainly I've done a lot of 
fast cat events where dogs are really loud and gone to agility and dog shows, but a race environment is just something completely different. All the dogs there are excited to be there. And so there's a lot of vocalization and a lot of people are really excellent about giving all the dogs space so that there aren't any issues. But certainly if a dog was maybe sound sensitive, we would want to be mindful of that coming into that environment and choose your parking location very uh, carefully so that you could kind of be out of the way on the end and not if you can, if you can yes, because you depending on what time you get there, that's not always an option. Uh, what are some things that you guys keep in mind for your race uh, setup to help keep your dogs comfortable and as relaxed as possible in that environment? So Hannah definitely has more experience than me at this. <laughs> I will say though, my dogs are more comfortable in the car. For the most part, I have wagons or big hatchbacks. So typically speaking, even with our, our new car, we're setting up with crates and the whole nine yards. I think I'll probably pull those crates out and let them be loose in the back. Uh, they grew up that way. It's what they know. So they will completely chill out no matter what's happening. We were next to a team at a race, um, oh gosh, a year or so ago in the winter. And we were next to a large team of border collies. They were awesome. They were very fast. They did a great job, but they were very loud. And my dogs could not be tied out. Just couldn't be. And I didn't have any choice. The parking was packed. Everyone was doing their best job to fit in. Uh, but I was able to put them in the car and they just totally relaxed. And then they didn't care. And that's how we managed it. The other piece of my experience with races, one of the things newbies should know is that almost every race I've gone to, people always, they're asked to and they do. They park in the same spot. So that helps cut down on transmission of disease, of course. There's very practical reasons of why you would do that. But it also means you know the second day uh, where you're going to be, which just means you can get there and set up faster, but also which dogs are going to be near you. So I did have my dogs outside a little bit more the last race because, well, I was next to you, Chelsea. Um, and on the other side, a pair of very quiet Huskies that we had like quiet space. Um, and so the dogs were outside a little more than usual, mm -hmm. but typically mine, they want to be in the car. What about you, Hannah? Um, so I usually park um, kind of where like the single cars are, not with trailers or anything else. Cause usually the bigger trailers and then teams are usually closer to like the start line. So I usually try to stay away from the start line just obviously to give um, those teams more space so I'll park in the back all the time and uh, you know it's just just easier you know that way I will have my dogs out on tie out for a good portion of the race and then also they're in the crate I don't like to walk away for like a really long time and leave them on the tie out I will usually put them in their crates and then you know if I'm gonna you know, go take some pictures or something or going to be away for a while. That's what I do. I think one other thing to, for everyone to remember is that you don't necessarily always have to do what everybody else is doing, that you need to figure out what works for you and your dogs and start practicing whatever you think you might do on your training runs. So if you think you want to try to use a tie out and get them used to laying down on mats next to the car, practice that. When you go meet up with friends and run, maybe before the run a little bit, after the run a little bit, get them comfortable with that process now. And so that when you go race day, 
The dogs are familiar with whatever you're going to do. If your dog struggles a little bit more with arousal or maybe reactivity, then being out on a tether, you know, with everything to see might be overwhelming for them and it might not be the best choice for you and your dog. And remember that if your dog is like that, you can always use additional barriers. You know, us, us here, Southern people, we are very well versed in using our Illuminat, which Christy, I know you just packed. It's on my list. Yeah. I really hate that I have to put that on my list for trying. Yeah. It's so warm. But if, if dogs are, you know, whether they're reactive or just excitable, sometimes using a little visual bit of barrier. a visual barrier can help. And remember that it's all about keeping them comfortable. So if you're doing single dog classes, which a lot of you guys probably would be, you might go towards the end of the day. So your dogs might be there for a little while, hanging out while the bigger teams go. So your dog, we want them to be comfortable and not stressed out and wigging out <laughs> until you go. So whatever you think you might do, you know, start practicing that routine now so that you can use that routine and that comfort with it to your benefit when you get there race day. And if you have friends, we can certainly set up with friends and that helps as well. Keep your stress levels lower because that can be the other thing with people race day is that we all get a little bit stressed out and that stress and tension can certainly translate to our dogs. We want to make sure that we're doing what we can to keep them comfortable as well. Well, and also when you set up, make friends yeah. at races, um, we're all busy and you might cut a conversation right in the middle because you have to address a scenario with your dog. I mean, that happens. And we all know that happens. We're all, we're all dog owners. But if you set up with other people also, that means you have more hands. Mm -hmm. You can lend a hand. They can help you. I have found the mushing community to be really open that way. And especially the small teams, um, typically parking is a lot of races run it so that parking is segregated in the sense of they want the small teams in one space to make sure there's enough area for the large teams that come in with buses and huge like trucks and RVs. Um, so ask your neighbors, talk to your neighbors. Yep, absolutely. Well, anything that we didn't talk about in terms of travel that you guys want to add in? Is there anything that really keeps your stress levels low or really helps you guys prepare mentally for travel with your dogs? You know, maybe not travel, but you know, at Don and me, we, we kind of glossed over the emergency kit, right? I have a very tiny, but very effective emergency kit. And I think people assume that you won't use it. And I have used mine at both of the races, not on myself. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to keep it that way because, well, I, I have had my share of crashes, but I carry some different things that I think people should be taking into races. One of them is a sewing kit. I have a sewing kit always on me and I have found gear can fail. And while I have extra parts for my gear, my uh, harnesses or things to that effect, I tend to actually have second harnesses. I have fixed them with a sewing kit. And the other piece is if you can get your hands on some skin glue, because when we are racing as humans, we cannot, like keeping bandages on is really hard. And so it could, you could actually use um, crazy glue. I know people will talk about that in the field, but you can get really true skin glue and it will keep bandages in place. And so if you're going Canada crossing and you had an accident or you're bike touring, I can make sure your bandages stay in place. Yeah. Some other things like that. I carry... I carry a serious first responder. I'm also highly allergic to bees, so I, I uh, 
always have EpiPens and I always have a liquid Benadryl and who I'm traveling with and typically whoever's near us is told where they're kept because if I get stung on the trail, I need someone else probably to administer. I'm actually considering the course that we're doing this weekend could potentially be the full course. It's a 2.8, which is a lot for us right now because we haven't been able to train. And I've been looking through all the different belts to take with me that so I could carry my EpiPen because it's a longer course and it's been warm. So yep. bees are a part of my dry land experience. Hopefully not yeah, this there weekend. Were <laughs> there were bees um, at the last race I was just at. <laughs> ah, I'm not a fan yeah. of this. <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy. Things Christy doesn't want to hear before headed to her race. <laughs> You're I'm prepared. Yeah. I am prepared. I, my emergency <laughs> kit is, is helped out quite a few people. So. You know, something along those lines, too, that I always do. And I have done this for every vacation we've gone on, every dog show I've been to, every race. I always look close to my destination, what the nearest 24-hour emergency veterinary hospital and human uh, medical facility is. And I've had to use it once for my dogs when I was traveling by myself. And I don't just look them up. I will look them up ahead of time and I screenshot all the information. Because I will tell you guys from personal experience that when you wake up in the middle of the night for a canine emergency, your brain is not functioning. (laughs) You need to go on Mm -hmm. autopilot. And so having that phone number already there and the address already in my GPS, I literally could call them running out the door and already have the directions ready. And it made such a huge difference in terms of my dog getting the care that he needed, uh, in terms of me getting there safely and getting him there quickly. And so that's something, again, I've only had to use once, but that one time I needed it, I was so glad I had it. Uh, I too have emergency kits on my crates, which one of you mentioned, I do have emergency. I think Hannah, you mentioned that for AKC registration. Uh, clip vaccination. Yeah, records. clip to the crates. I have vaccine records, medical history on the dogs. So if they have any medical conditions or any health concerns or medications, all of that goes in with a little picture and then emergency contact info so that, you know, if I were to get in an accident and I couldn't take the dogs myself, all that information is ready. And so again, that's not something I've had to use, but always gives me peace of mind being out on the road with my dogs that they're going to be taken care of and whoever has them is going to know what they need to know about them. Yeah. I also wear emergency ID, uh, it happens to say, hey, I need epinephrine yeah. if I get stung on it. And here's who you need to call. Uh, because we're, especially racing or being out adventuring with your dogs, often you don't necessarily have your wallet on your body. Yep. You have it in a backpack or you have it back at the car. So I, I actually wear them. And then the same company I ordered mine from makes dog tags. And you can, most black collars. And a lot, a lot of harness parts. You can take their elastic piece off and you can actually just thread that piece of metal right onto the harness. So I've done that as well. That's great. The one other thing that actually didn't come up that I do for races in particular is I always pack uh, for the day. I will pack an extra pair of socks and an extra pair of shoes because so many times at dog events, my shoes have gotten wet wet, and then my socks get wet. And I will tell you people, the last thing you want is to be freezing with wet feet. Yeah. (laughs) I did the same thing. And in the winter, I actually use my wool socks um, over water bottles as an insulation layer. I was a backpacker for many years before we had dogs. So I have all these weird tricks. I don't, I don't think of as weird. 
uh, but that I do that. I but your non-hiking friends are like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, Christy, why do you have wool socks over your Nalgene bottle or what have you? And I'm like, so it won't freeze. Oh, and I put my Nalgene bottle in upside down into my wool socks so that it freezes from the bottom down towards, like it freezes from the top down. And then so when you flip it, you can actually drink from it still. Yeah. Even half frozen. <laughs> that's brilliant. Any must-haves for you, Hannah? Anything you keep in the car or anything that is a little uh, strange <laughs> but helpful for you? Speaking of the water, um, <laughs> I use, um, they're called Rotopax jugs. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but um, you can, you see them like on Jeeps, like mounted on Jeeps sometimes. And they're like a square two gallon water jug and they are made of like thick plastic. And if they freeze, it's, it's not an issue. Like they're not going to bust. And I, well, this is like when I first started, um, I just had like a big plastic um, water jug I got from Amazon and kind of left it in my car overnight at a race and it froze and then the water just like busted all in my car so those water jugs have come in like really handy for me and they also fit like super nicely in the car too since they're like flat and rectangle yeah, yeah. do you use those to pack water for you and for the dogs yeah i actually have two of them so i have like four gallons of water total you can never have enough water it's always good to have extra this is true that is one of my mottos as well more water the better well, awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, both of you. I know that you guys are both busy getting ready to head out of town this week, trying to get all your stuff organized. So hopefully as you were preparing for this podcast, it also helped you make sure that you are getting all your stuff <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, is, that is accurate for me. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you again for being here. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to share some of the stuff that you guys have learned along the way in your journey and good luck this weekend. Thank you. And thanks yes. for having us. Yes. Thank you. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trail.